Hello mamas and welcome to season two episode nine of Bump to Mum. I am your host Emma and this week I had the pleasure of speaking with Stephanie Powell who is the founder of Crayon. Steph has had an impressive career in finance and when she went on maternity leave with her first child she actually decided not to return to her role and go out there on her own and start her own thing which is now what you see as Crayon. What is Crayon you may ask? Well the purpose of Crayon is to make the decisions that come with parenthood simpler and more intuitive with financial roadmaps for every stage of parenthood. With Crayon, you know where you stand, you know what smart money moves to take and how you're tackling against tracking against your goals. They also created the Parental Leave Register for New Zealand. So this has a collection of various employers in New Zealand. It's a comprehensive database of verified parental leave policies. So essentially you can explore the register, find out what different companies do for parental leave, understand parental leave and what you're entitled to. In this chat with Steph, we go through a lot. Um, a lot of it kind of, you know, it's financy stuff. A lot of it I had to say I was kind of like mind blown, but um, it, Steph puts it in a very easy, digestible way. She explains what you're entitled to um, as someone in New Zealand who is going on parental leave. Um, she explains, you know, from the government's perspective as well as your employer. Um, she also gives a lot of tips and tricks in terms of how do we prepare for going on parental leave, what sort of, you know, things we need should be thinking about from a finance perspective. There are a lot of things that Steph covers that I hadn't even thought about. So obviously you've got your your hidden costs of having a child, um, the known costs of having a child, all these different things. What happens to your KiwiSaver? What happens to your annual leave? Steph walks us through that and I learned so much in this chat and I just think it will be so helpful for any families um, who you know may have not started their family yet or have and want some tips on being financially savvy today. If you haven't already, I will tag the Crayon website in the show notes so you can go check that out. Check out the Parental Leave Register. Um, if you are looking for some financial support or advice, you can also reach out to Steph through that platform. Um, for the purpose of this chat today, we have kept it very New Zealand focused just because of the legislation and you know where Steph's operating. So I appreciate there may be some listeners outside New Zealand, so this conversation might not be as on point for them um, but there's still some really good I guess finance money saving you know just being smart about your money tips that I think will be relevant for anyone wherever you are. Steph also shares with us her motherhood journey she is a mum of two um, like I said she's she started crayon when she was on parental leave with her first she has since then had another baby um, she's a busy woman very you know, high-paced career, um, and so she shares for us what that's been like. She also um, takes us through her fourth trimester, which is very, um, she did something quite different I'd never heard about, which um, I found super interesting, which she practiced Chinese confinement. So she takes us through what that is, what that looked like for her, and what she really enjoyed about that practice in her fourth trimester, as well as how she, you know, juggles the career, the kids, the family, the life, herself um, she gives us a bit of a insight into her own world so I really hope you enjoy this chat um, I like I said I learned so much and I really hope you will too so enjoy mamas hey Steph thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today I would love if you could tell everyone that's listening a little bit about yourself your family and your business crayon 
Hi, Emma. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. I'm the founder of Crayon. Our mission is to reduce financial stress for parents. This really came out of my own personal experience. So I had my first child around four years ago now, uh, Louisa. And even though I had worked in finance and studied finance um, you know, for well over a decade, what I found when I had her was that there are a whole host of financial challenges that are unique to parenthood that I was woefully underprepared for. So I guess I learned the hard way um, that money really does matter a lot on uh, parental leave and beyond and how much it changes with the arrival of a child. So uh, about three years ago now, I started on the journey to Crayon um, and it's changed forms a few times like most startups do. And we <laughs> launched the website, um, well, gosh, it must be 13 months ago now. And originally it started as a content platform um, for parents, particularly in New Zealand, um, talk, think, you know, trying to help parents make smart money moves. And we still do have a lot of free content on there and tools and things like that. But we've also recently launched the New Zealand Parental Leave Register. So now it's freely available to anyone. You can go on our website and you can see uh, over 200 employers' parental leave policies. It actually covers half a million Kiwis or one in every six employed people here. So it's really neat. You know, parental leave is one of those things that often you want to ask about and it's one of those things that it's handy to know ahead of time, even well before you're pregnant. But it's awkward to ask. You know, it's awkward in a job interview. It could be awkward in your current job if you're not yet ready to flag with your employer that you're thinking about starting a family. And so we launched that. And then most recently, uh, we've launched a financial baby prep program. So think of it like antenatal class um, for your money. If you're having a child, what are the financial things to think through and step through to make sure you're better prepared? So now I've actually got two daughters, um, Louisa, who's four, and Madeline, who's two, and I've built Crayon during that time. Oh my goodness, so you've been a very busy woman during that time. If we step back before Crayon, what? so you've mentioned you had a, a background in finance. Can you tell us a little bit about your career up to today? Sure. So I was really lucky um, during my undergrad, I'm Australian, um, I was on a program that combined work experience with study. So I studied started on the training floor when I was 18 years old um, at UBS in Sydney. It's the largest training floor in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, mm. I worked on the derivatives desk um, while I was at university. also worked at Goldman Sachs and the Commonwealth Bank of Australia as part of those internships. I joined UBS full-time when I graduated, and I spent four years on the derivatives desk um, you know, doing things like hybrids and exotic and, and vanilla um, options. And then towards the end of that time, I, I really enjoy finance and I love the team that I was part of, but I didn't see myself climbing the ladder, so to speak, in an investment bank. So I took some time out um, and went to study in the US. So I did my MBA at Wharton and I did my MPA at Harvard. And that was three years of my life, um, which I loved. And then I, it, during that period, I met and married a Kiwi, which is how I landed in New Zealand. So after I graduated, I moved here probably about six, seven years ago now. Mm. I joined Vend, which is a software company in New Zealand that's since been acquired. Uh, and really, I love the operational side of a startup. I like building things, seeing the immediate feedback, um, getting customer feedback. And while I was at Vend, I fell pregnant with Louisa and went on a year of parental leave. 
um, towards the end of that time. I've been thinking about doing my own thing for quite some time. You know, I used to cycle through ideas in my head or talk them out with my husband or a friend. And, you know, I always thought, oh, maybe not that one, that one. I kept coming back to the idea that a lot of people that I know who are well-educated and smart and confident in lots of facets of their life, when it comes to money, it's a topic many of us still feel very uncomfortable about. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those things where you almost think, oh, gosh, I really wish I was better at that. And so... Mm -hmm. I decided to take a leap of faith after um, parental leave. I didn't return to Ben and I started on what, you know, on the journey to what is now Crayon. But like I said, it's changed form a few times. Yeah. Wow. You've accomplished so much. It's very, very impressive. And then as well to, you know, start a business and to have two babies in that time, I can only imagine how chaotic at times that would be especially startup um it's a very fast-paced environment so if we go you know um, I would love to hear your experience with these things as well but like say people are thinking about having a child or for some reason you know what they've fallen pregnant how how do we start financially preparing to have a baby and and to know that we're going to be taking some time out of the workforce of paid employment So often when you look at articles that talk about the cost of having a child, Mm. um, most of it focuses on the the cost of baby gear and nappies and things like that. And they are expensive. I don't want to diminish that part. But actually the biggest cost for most people will be the loss of income and Mm. particularly for the primary carer who, you know, in New Zealand, 95% of primary carers, at least those who receive the government paid parental leave, are women. So Mm. that's actually what hurts most of us. And although we might budget for the pram and the car seat and things like that, it's actually working out what's going to happen to your income. That's probably the first thing to tick off the list. Now, in New Zealand, there are very specific rules and eligibility requirements you have to meet to get the government paid parentally. Um, And interestingly, the rules for getting the money are different to the rules for getting the time off. So, for example, you can be in a situation where you're entitled to the money but not the time off to receive it. Um, and that's why it's super important to know what the rules are well ahead, ideally, of having a child, you know, if you're thinking about changing a job or things like that. So let me break down the rules um, for you. So yes. in order to get the payments, you need to have worked any of the 26 weeks in the 52 weeks before your child arrives. And the legislation covers both um, birth and also taking permanent responsibility of a child under the age of six. So adoption is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. So it's any of the 26 weeks. It can be across multiple employers. It needs to be at least an average of 10 hours per week on those 26 weeks. But, you know, you can switch jobs and still be eligible for the money. And you can, if you have multiple jobs, you can add those hours together. You need to qualify either as an employee. So you might um, have two employers and add those together or as a self-employed person. You can't combine your employee work with your self-employed work. So that's important to distinguish and people sometimes get caught out by that. So that's the money side. And then the the time off side, if you're an employee, you need to have been at the same employer for six months or more before your child arrives, working an average of at least 10 hours per week to be entitled to six months of leave. And if you're a partner, to be entitled to that plus one week of unpaid leave. 
And then if you want 12 months, which is the maximum you can take under the legislation, you need to have been at the same employer for 12 months. So again, it's just something to think about if you're changing jobs and you know, you're thinking about having a kid. The other mm-hmm. thing to note is that more and more employers offer additional benefits. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we've documented a large portion of on the register. And again, a lot of these employers have their own rules because, you know, they're offering something above and beyond the legislation. So they're entitled to put whatever rules they like in place. But to give you some examples, sometimes they will have minimum tenure requirements that are longer than the legislation. You know, we've seen, you know, up to two years to qualify. And then on the flip side, some of them have clawbacks. So what they say is we'll pay you the leave um, extra, but if you don't come back from parental leave or you resign within a certain period, you need to pay some or all of it back. So essentially, let's say an employer has a one-year length of service to qualify for their parental leave benefits, and they have a one-year clawback, and you take a year of parental leave, you're actually signing up for a three-year commitment. Um, And then Mm -hmm. if you want another child, you want to keep that in mind too. So again, it's something just to be aware of if kids are, even if they're on the maybe list for you, um, so that you don't get caught out at the time. Wow. It's so, I mean, the fact that you have now collated all this information from employers in terms of what we are entitled to, it's still, it's a lot to think about even just in terms of, you know, being entitled to what the government will offer us. It's, you know, it's you've got to like have a bit of a long-term plan before you start thinking about maybe, if you want to have a baby and I go, I know for a lot of people, sometimes it's not a plan. And so um, it's no wonder that it can become quite a stressful thing. All of a sudden, if you realize you're not entitled to these sorts of um, supports as well. Um, I would love you to maybe share with us a little bit, obviously the, the inspiration from for crayon came from your own experience um, going on parental leave. What, what was that like for you, you know, to have worked in the corporate space, um, and then to go on parental leave, how did you feel? What were some things you did to prepare? Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your own experience with that. I would say I was underprepared, um, which, so I'm probably not the model that you, you want to emulate if you're going on parental leave. I remember being, you know, physically exhausted with the pregnancy. I was working a job that covered three time zones. So I would be on calls anywhere from 7 a.m. all the way till 10 p.m. during all the way to the end of my pregnancy. And so I didn't prepare. I mean, I bought all the gear, um, which I think a lot of um, parents do think about. But, I, yeah. you know, I didn't look into the leg- legislation till quite late. Um, and even then it was at a high level. I was lucky I didn't fall afoul of any of the rules. You know, I did qualify. But, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that surprised me was how much you get paid on paid parental leave from the government. And in New Zealand, it's less than minimum wage. So um, right now it's $661.12 per week for 26 weeks. That's increasing to $712 from the 1st of July this year. But still for a lot of people, that's that's a bit of a gap. And, you know, over the course, let's say you take 12 months of parental leave and you get 26 weeks of paid parental leave from the government and then you get best start payments of $69 per week, which every family gets um, mm. for the, uh, after your paid parental leave finishes, you know, you're still looking at around 19000 ish $19,020 before tax. And mm. so for most people, they're earning more than that, right? And so there's mm. a gap. 
Um, the, the other thing that surprised me was, you know, this was the first time in my adult life and even since you know, I had a job since I was 13, whether it was like mm-hmm. delivering newspapers or working, um, you know, in customer service, things like that. This was the first time I didn't have a strong source of income for the mm-hmm. life stage that I was at. And that was a real shock. I remember feeling just very financially vulnerable during um, parental leave. And I think a lot of primary carers and particularly women can probably relate to that. You know, the idea that suddenly you're very dependent on your mm-hmm. partner um, was unsettling for me. And so, you know, the way we manage our finances had been quite separate because um, while I was studying in the US, my husband um, remained in New Zealand. We were together. We actually got married while I was um you know, still studying. So we spent the first good portion of our married life, um, more, you know, year and a half um, long distance and about three and a half years long distance altogether. So we had very separate finances because that made sense. We were having, in some ways, very separate lives. Mm. But um, when, we, when I went on parental leave, suddenly we needed to rejig the way we manage our finances, the bank account access that I had, um, the visibility I needed over our joint finances because, I just didn't feel very comfortable. And so that was one big change um, that we had to make. And the other is obviously just on reduced income, you've got to be a bit more careful around where your money is going. And I have to admit, um, for a finance person, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't love budgeting. Um, yeah. it's, <laughs> and so I, I, I think I used to associate budgeting with it being restrictive, all the things you can't do, right? That's what your budget's telling you. But I've come to realize that actually a budget is just a way to be intentional about your money. There are actually quite a few different ways you can budget. And when I didn't have a budget and before parental leave, I was just spending too much on things that I didn't really value because it was there. And then on the flip side, when I didn't have a budget after I went on parental leave, I wasn't spending. I really went into that scarcity mindset because you know, when you, when you, it feels like a little bit like you're out of control and so you're like, Oh, I won't spend because can we do that? Can we not? And both of those situations aren't great to be in. They're not healthy ways of managing your money. So I really had to relook at, um, you know, how we manage our joint finances as a couple, but also, you know, where the money's going and, you know, what we want to prioritize and what we value and what we, frankly, what we don't and what's low value to us. Oh, I'm just sitting here nodding my head because all of this resonates so much with me and my experience as well. Um, I definitely really struggled having you know similar to you like my first job was a paper run when I was I can't even remember how old then I had worked in a fish and chip shop worked in a cafe and this was from the age of 13 like I always just wanted to I liked earning money and I liked having my own money and I've always been like that and to then be dependent on my husband for income um, you know I just never got to a point where I felt fully comfortable with that I didn't you know, and I, you know, he always would remind me, you know, we're a team, it's our money. I just still couldn't get my head quite around it. I liked having, you know, even if we had lots of joint expenses and a joint account, I still liked having that little bit that was mine. Um, so, yeah, that really um, resonates with me. And I'm also terrible with budgets. Um, but on the flip side, my husband absolutely loves a budget, loves an Excel spreadsheet. A lot of our big decisions in life, while I'll kind of make them on a gut instinct, he will then break it down in a spreadsheet to kind of weigh up pros and cons. So um, I do now see the benefit in having a budget and having that kind of oversight of where things are going. And like you say, it's not to be 
restrictive, but it's to know what have I got, what can I spend, what can't I spend, and just give you visibility of where things are going. Um, what would be then some tips for people going on parental leave, you know, due to start parental leave, what would be some tips for them um, that you found w- worked really well when you are down to that one income or, you know, on a reduced income? Sure. So I think to your point, just having some visibility about what that's going to look like, you know, you don't need to get the number right down to the very last dollar, but to understand, okay, well, this is what we're going to have coming in the door during parental leave and maximizing that. So you're getting the government paid parental leave if you can, if you can, seeing what your employer offers, what your partner's employer offers. So an example is I have one friend where her partner's um, employer had an excellent policy. So he became the primary carer and mm. she, um, and that it allowed them to have paid time at home together. Um, so that's one example of you know, trying to be, trying to make sure you know what your rights are. Mm. Um, I know that there are keeping in touch hours. I didn't know about this, my first pregnancy, but while you are receiving government paid parental leave, you can work up to 64 paid hours for your employer um, and you can still receive the government uh, leave. Now, if you work more than that, they uh, think that you've gone back to work and they'll stop your payment. So you want to make sure you don't cross that 64-hour threshold and it can't be done within the first 28 days of your child arriving. But, you know, 64 hours is actually eight days um, of work and, you know, that's almost two weeks of salary or wages, which can be quite meaningful. And you can use those you don't have to do your day-to-day job. You can use them to come in to have a meeting with your manager, to attend training, to attend a team day, um, to attend a change announcement. You can get paid for that. I think a lot mm. of people don't realise that that's um, something you have under the legislation and a, a way to, as the name suggests, keeping in touch, kind of ease that transition back into work um, and get a bit of extra money on parental leave. So that's another way to maximise it. Uh, another one is... You know, you might be eligible for working for family tax credits um, that's administered by the IRD and also WINS has benefits for families. Now, a lot of those benefits are income-based um, and they're based on your family income, not just individual. But it could be that, you know, th- th- during the time that you're taking parental leave, you might be eligible for that period, um, mm. even though you might usually not make, the, you know, you might usually earn too much as a family to qualify you might qualify that year or for those weeks. So they're worth looking into because Mm. you have to apply for them. If you qualify but you don't apply, you don't get it. So they're Mm. kind of all the streams of income you can get and you want to make sure you're maximising that and then know, okay, roughly we should have X amount coming through the door. Then on the flip side, you want to start looking at expenses. Um, We have a baby gear list on our website with a budget built into it. And, you know, I was the parent who bought all the things and all the things new. I have to admit to that (laughs) the first time around. Um, And now that I've got two kids, I've come to realise that, wow, I could have done some wiser spending decisions there. And so what we did with our budget um, and our baby list is we classify items into essential, useful to have and nice to have. I think often when you get a baby list, people don't tell you what you actually genuinely need for your child to survive, like clothing Mm. and a safe place to sleep and then actually what is good to have but not necessary and you know so many of these items and you would know emma you don't use them after a few months and by the time you turn one most of the stuff is in storage or you've given it away and you think gosh i spent so much money on something that you don't use for very long 
And maybe mm. I could have been perfectly happy buying, sec- uh, you know, secondhand for some of this stuff. And so that's why we created the, the gear list to put price tags next to it. And also we give free alternative suggestions. You know, if you don't want to buy this thing, what else could you might you already have lying around or how could you improvise? So that you're being smarter about the money because gear, you know, costs somewhere, most families somewhere between, I don't know, let's call it like $800 and $10,000. So 800 mm-hmm. you know, it's quite the range. So there are different levers you can pull. And then you want to start thinking about those ongoing expenses. And the biggest one of all by far is childcare. So yeah. in New Zealand, we're one of the most expensive in the world when it comes to childcare as a percentage of income. A couple earning the average wage with two kids in childcare full-time can expect to pay 34% of their income towards childcare, which is a wow. huge amount. And I, I didn't realise this, but a lot of childcare places also have big waiting lists. And so, mm. um, you know, sometimes 12 months or more, and it's actually something I, I wish I had looked into a lot earlier, both because the cost of childcare can vary a lot, anywhere from free to over $100 a day. And also with those waiting lists, if you can get your preferred option, you'll feel better about returning back to work because mm-hmm. you feel good about where you're sending your kid every day. And so looking into that, I mean, that's, that's probably the biggest expense you'll face in those first few years. And then, um, you know, things like diapers and and um, formula and things like that also add up so you know reusables versus disposable diapers is a good example so on average kids get toilet trained at two and a half years old if um if you do disposables um, versus reusables the the difference in cost is about three and a half thousand dollars ish and again most of us just don't think about it and look i did all disposables for my first child and i did a mix for my second but it I think a lot of this is just about being conscious around what the big expenses are and making decisions around that. And then there are a whole host of hidden costs, which I can also go into. Um, But they're the main, I guess, money out the door, but then there are other things to think about as well. Oh, it's like quite overwhelming, isn't it, when you think about it? And I think you mentioned it at the start, like money is just one of those things that we, I don't know why it's, always been uncomfortable to talk about it's one of those things that people try avoid if they can and like then you're faced with you know this amazing stage of life going you know starting growing your family but there's so much kind of stress that goes with that when you are thinking of like okay well this is how much it's going to cost and this is you know how much money I won't be making during this time and these sorts of conversations have to kind of take place it's a lot to digest and think about which again like and it's meant to be such a positive exciting time of life and I know as well um just with the cost of living at the moment like everyone's talking about it it's getting more expensive for literally everything how you know so we've talked about I guess budgeting knowing what you're entitled to if we take a step back how would you kind of advise or recommend someone to talk? How do you talk to your employer when you are planning on going on parental leave? Like, have you got some tips? Because I know some people feel like a, a, a lot of anxiety around that as well. And you're right, it is tricky. So let me go through, I guess, the legal requirements first, which is mm. you need to let your employer know at least three months before your due date or when you take permanent responsibility of your child 
about your parental leave plans. And Employment New Zealand has some great templates that step you through exactly what you need to tell them, and it needs to be in writing. Now, that's a legal requirement. Um, actually, if you're taking permanent responsibility, like adoption, you only need to give 14 days' notice. But if it's birth, it's three months. So that's just first, that's your, you know, you need to tell them. The Obviously, I've had some colleagues who have told me that they're pregnant as soon as they've got the positive pee stick. <laughs> and yeah. then I've had other seen other colleagues hide it all the way until the end, that you know, the maximum period that they could because they were worried about how it would impact their career and bonus mm. time and things like that. So I've seen the spectrum. Um, and the first thing is that there's no one right answer. It is very dependent on the relationship that you have with your manager, the type of company and the culture that you work in. Um, so it, it, if you are talking to your employer, I think the first part is um, you want to have a bit of a plan in your mind already around what your parental leave um, plans are going to look like so that, you know, I think they want some certainty as well for planning purposes, whether they're going to hire someone in to cover your role or they're going to split up the role you know, while you're on leave, et cetera, to help them with their planning, it shows, um, you know, some initiative to say, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what it looks like. Um, you know, what do you think about this? The other part of it is, you know, have conversations around things like what's going to happen with your pay review. So you don't want it to be the case that it's out of sight, out of mind. Mm. Um, and we do see that sometimes, you know, you miss out on, a REM review uh, that's just a cost of living adjustment because you're not in the office or not in the workplace. So kind of front-footing some of that stuff, front-footing um, keeping in touch hours, you know, do you want to use them? What might like that look like? What's some approved uses? And, you know, I think your employer, most managers understand that your plans may change once your child arrives. Often it's hard to know exactly how much you want to be involved with work while you're on parental leave, but front-footing those conversations will put you in a better spot. Um, and then, you know, if you've got questions about your employer's policy, either your manager or the HR team should be able to step you through that. Now, if you're not ready to um, to let them know what your plans are, but you want to know policy details, um, you know, the register is a great place to find verified details. We do take nominations. So if your employer's not on there, we can ask them for you and keep that anonymous. Um, mm. If you know, you can always ask maybe a trusted colleague, search the intranet, um, look at your employment contract. It's not always stipulated in there. It's usually more in a policy document. But there are ways you can kind of be a bit more stealthy about how you find out what the employer's policy is without yet needing to tell them that you're expecting a child. So they're probably the things to, to think through in terms of communication to mm. smooth that transition. And on the way back in, Legally, you need to let your employer know 21 days before the end of parental leave if you're coming back. So, um, again, that's just a requirement to be aware of. Hopefully, you're having some positive conversations with them during parental leave. So, you know, it's not a shock. Um, but, again, you know, you just want to make sure you don't fu uh, run afoul of that one. Yeah, no, it's such good advice. And I think what you've done with Crown is you're making those conversations easier for us, you know, because you've got the information there online. It's publicly available to see what you're entitled to. And it's not even to say, like, that's necessarily something you need to know now, but it's like if you're considering a new job um, and that is maybe something that is going to be in your 
you know, horizons, you can actually check that out without having to say during an interview process, oh, what's your parental leave policy? Because as much as I don't want to think that this is correct, you never want to be discounted because that's something you ask. And, you know, I know legally you cannot be discounted for that, but it is a hard topic to bring up. When you are looking at a, a, you know, a new job or if you're looking at a promotion, you know, those sorts of things can be tricky to navigate, can't they? Absolutely. So, you know, there is a well-documented phenomenon called the motherhood bias. And, mm. you know, part of that is because, you know, there, there is research showing that mothers are perceived to be less committed to the role and less competent. Um, it's actually something fathers you know, they actually, the, the flip side is true for fathers. So, you know, as much as we'd like to think, even if we're working for the most progressive employer that, you know, becoming a parent's not a thing, that the reality is some of it is conscious and some of it is unconscious in terms of how people might treat you because either you're expecting, you know, you're pregnant or you've become a parent. So sadly that those things are real and we do mm-hmm. hear a lot of return to work stories that are suboptimal, to put it politely. Um and so, you know, there's actually a great book called What Works for Women Who Work. And mm. they've got a whole, they've got four um, main topics that they cover and the motherhood bias is one of them. And so, for example, they talk about, you know, you need to over communicate your commitment because people are going to assume that you're less committed, um, even if they don't say it out loud. You know, that's why coming back with a plan about how you want to go on parental leave, how you want to transition back. Um, what opportunities you're looking for, that you're committed to your employer, it might feel like, oh, this is a bit overkill, but some of that is to counteract the bias that you might encounter. Um, Mm. Yeah, so you're right. You know, we'd like to think it doesn't affect, but the reality is that it does. And sometimes they say, oh, you know, well, you know, she's just become a new parent. We don't want to put any pressure on her, so let's not offer her that role or let's not Mm. give her a project. And it it might sound like they're trying to be caring and benevolent, but maybe you really want that project or you want that stretch opportunity, but they're making an assumption. Um, So, again, it's about communicating and ideally doing some career planning with your manager um, towards the end of parental leave or when you come back around like where are you going and you know what do you want to be considered for so that you don't miss out oh that's so so interesting and you know it is and it's actually kind of nice to hear that there is you know we want to think the best of people but this is actually something that can be unconscious as well and I I, I kind of get it like if you've had a baby that's a big life change and you know you might be coming back to work and you know, you're you're a different person, your whole, everything's different, but that doesn't change the fact that you've still got these ambitions, you're still, you know, you've worked hard for your career or your your job or whatever it is to you, um, and you've got motivations for being back, whether that motivation is, I need to pay the bills, that's still a motivation to be back and, you know, wanting to be treated as you were before you became a parent. Um, did you, how did you, obviously it was a little bit different for you because you didn't go back to the same role, did you? You started crayon at the time instead of returning to your role. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, so it is a bit different. I didn't have to transition mm. back to my employer, but I, you know, became self-employed and um, and that's a whole different world to, to navigate. I think yeah. to your point as well, what's interesting is that, you know, 70% of mums in New Zealand end up going back to work before they want to um, or before they had planned to. And mm-hmm. 
a big chunk of that is driven by financial constraints. That is very real. But mm. also a number of women have cited the fact that they enjoy their work. And yeah. so, you know, I think it's often hard to know, particularly before your first child, how you're going to react to being a full-time parent. And I've seen people who are super career-driven, who I thought would be back at work super quick, end up loving it and wanting to take the full, full, full 12 months. And conversely, people who I thought, uh, you know, are baby people, quote-unquote, um, mm. who I, you know, always love kids, actually they crave the stimulation of being able to work with adults. And so they, you know, transition back a bit earlier. It's, it's often hard to know. And mm. so, you know, I, to the extent that you've got a good relationship with your manager, being able to communicate about that. And look, it might be a graduated transition. That's what we're seeing more and more of in terms of what employers offer is, okay, going from round the clock, um, you know, taking care of your child to being back at work five days a week is, is quite jarring, I think, for a lot of people. Mm. And so we're seeing employers say more and more, look, let's do some sort of graduated return. Let's start with mm-hmm. two days a week or three days and ramp it up over time. And, in fact, we see some employers say, we'll pay you full time for a period of time, even if you're not working full time, so that you don't have to take the financial hit to do that, which I think is super wow. cool. But that's amazing. Even, it is, right? But even if that's not an option, it just gradually going back might be a better way to transition if you can financially do it than, um, you know, going back full-time straight away. Because I guess the other consideration that you have to think about when you are returning to work is financially, okay, I need, maybe you say financially, I need to be back five days, but then you've got to weigh up the cost of daycare, which you brought up before, which I'd love to touch on because, if you don't have family or support that can help you for those five days that you're back at work, you do need to look at that sort of option. And it's then thinking, okay, well, that's going to cost me this much and just kind of weighing up the pros and cons and what you're comfortable with. So what was 30% of your income, was it, for daycare as a rough guide? As a couple, yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's a big, big chunk, (laughs) especially if you're paying, you know, on top of that rent and mortgage and, groceries and and all that good stuff so um what i would encourage is you know often people look at okay well what's my net income after tax and kiwisaver etc and then what's my childcare costs and that's the you know the equation and that's important but i would also encourage people to think beyond that so even just on a financial basis there's kiwisaver matching that you get from your employer there was a really interesting report released last year sponsored by the retirement commission that found that having that found that if people who have a child, particularly mothers, um, taking time out of the paid workforce can cost you anywhere from ten thousand to three hundred thousand in KiwiSaver retirement, depending on how long you're out of the workforce for. You know that is a substantial amount of money. So KiwiSaver, um, I think of, I would also think about future pay rises and promotions. So. Yes, today it may not make the most financial sense for going back, but it could also be an investment in your long-term career. Mm-hmm. Um, and also future paid parental leave. If you, if, you know, having another child is on the cards for you, you could be eligible for parental leave again from both the government um, and your employer. But again, you need to have worked, uh, be, work, be working at the time or in the lead up to your child's arrival to, be, to get that. So, you know, it's, it's not that straightforward. And obviously there are big non-financial considerations. You know, wh- where do you get your energy from? You know, for some people it will be 
being present for your child for all those moments, big and small. For others, it is the career and the intellectual stimulation, and, and it's probably a mix of both for, for most people. But mm. where does that balance out for you? And I do want to acknowledge that for some people, it's not a choice, right? Even mm. if they have one preference, financially they're forced either to stay at home because their income really doesn't um, cover the costs and they're not in a position to eat that shortfall. Or on the flip side, they have to go back to make um, all their expenses. So, But if you have that choice, think through not just income versus childcare costs, but the longer-term implications of that. Mm. So, so much to think about. I would love to know with your experience with your first, so you took 12 months off. How did you find that time having been someone like, you know, that had worked, you know, kind of stressful, big jobs, not a nine to five? Sounds like you were more of like a seven to 10. How did you find that shift from going from corporate working to mum life, being a parent and doing it for 12 months? Like, I guess I'm kind of in a roundabout asking, like, where do you get your energy from now that you've been through that? And I'd love for you to maybe share about your, your second experience going on um, parental leave as well. So I would say I was very naive heading into this. I remember thinking, oh, I've had demanding jobs. I've worked around the clock um, in some roles. Uh, you know, it felt like that anyway. And I thought, I'll be fine. I'll be absolutely fine. I've got this. And it was a rude shock. <laughs> I'll be honest, Emma. Like, um, it's, I would say it's the hardest job I've ever done by far. Yeah. Um, and I always joke, it's, you know, there's no annual leave, no sick leave. You know, colleagues don't always show up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've got a very demanding boss. And yeah. so <laughs> it's, it was really hard. I struggled. Um, if I'm very frank, and my, I, I'm an Aussie, my family um, isn't here, you know, they're, they're still mm. back home, and um, my husband's family is here, thankfully, um, but, you know, they, they've got their own lives too. They, they do definitely help out where they can, but, you know, they've got full-time jobs and lives, etc. So I, I, I think I found it quite um, isolating. I remember just even getting out of the house felt like such a mission for me. Mm. So, you know... I probably needed that time to find my feet and, um, you know, it's interesting. I took 12, almost 13 months with Louisa and then when Madeline came along, I had been working on what is now Crayon but actually a totally different idea and I remember being really worried because I, I was the only, you know, employee and with a startup, it feels like you're pushing a boulder uphill and I was super worried that, when I wasn't pushing it because I wanted to be with Madeline, it would stop or, or roll downhill. And yeah. actually it ended up being a blessing. So I took a full month where I did no work whatsoever. And I remember thinking, oh, so, you know, do you think I could I go back now? And then I started doing a little bit and I was like, whoa, this is way too soon. And mm. so I stopped again very shortly after. And um, I wasn't even doing much, but, I just, I wasn't ready. And I remember being very grateful that I could just say, actually, I need, I need the full six months and that's mm. what I'm going to do. And it was over the summer. So it was quite a nice time of the year to do it. But the gift of it was the perspective to be able to step back to say, actually what we're working on, this is totally not what I want to be doing. This is not mm. the right direction. I binned the whole idea. Like we had put money into it. I had, um, I had done wireframes. I had got my, 
financial services license to offer what we were going to offer. Like we've gone quite far down the track. Yeah. And then I, I binned the whole idea and started again. Oh my and goodness. I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't taken time out to be with Madeline. You know, often when you're in the day-to-day and your nose is to the grind, you don't pop your head up to say, actually, is this the right thing? And so it was a real gift, but it didn't feel like it at the time. I was so worried. Um, you know, I was really setting myself back. But in hindsight, like, what a wonderful thing. That's incredible and incredibly brave as well. So I can imagine when you've kind of put all this, effort and money and time into something to actually be like you know what no that's not right like that that is incredibly brave as well and to kind of change but I know exactly what you mean about like this the perspective and space to think I even find that for me sometimes just going through the day-to-day you're like constantly busy you're on the go you don't get that time to just step back and think and that's something I've realized as a person and a mom is that I need these pockets of time whether it be an hour a week where I'm just totally alone walking by myself just to actually get some perspective or think clearly about things and if I don't get that time I just start getting quite I just I'm just not I'm not the best version of myself my my head's kind of all jumbled and all over the show but literally like 40 minutes or an hour just to go for a walk by myself and I find I get so much clarity and just it's incredible. So I can kind of see how that would have happened for you, just having that time to think about it and, you know, not be in the day-to-day, like you say, like grinding. Absolutely. And that's something I've come to appreciate as I've gotten a bit older is, you know, I feel like I'm such a go-go-go person, always in a rush, etc. But there is value in letting, you know, thoughts marinate, for lack of a better term, mm. of just being able to sit with something for some time. And, mm. you know, sometimes when you look at um, the history of innovation and we always have this idea that it's a light bulb that goes off in one moment, but Mm. really is it ever like that? It's a kind of a series of steps that accumulate to something and then the pieces come together and then you're like, oh, that's that's it. But it's not usually just a single moment where you're struck with brilliance. It's It takes time to get there. Oh, completely. I think I I would... And I'm, I would love to know from you. So obviously you've got you've got two girls now. You're the founder of a company that's growing rapidly. What what does the juggle look like for you? You know, do you use daycare? How do you manage running a company and being mum and being a partner in relationships? You know, we always hear about the kind of overwhelm of motherhood, the juggle. How has that been for you? Do you have any advice and tips for people that, you know, are going back to work full time? Like, what does it look like for your family? So we're um, super lucky, and I understand that this is coming from a place of privilege. Uh, We have a nanny who helps out. And then my older daughter, Louisa, also goes to kindy Mm -hmm. four days a week. Um, And Madeline will be starting uh, soon too once she turns two. So that's... um, that's been a huge financial cost to be blunt. And I realize I'm very lucky to be in a position where I can work on a startup and have a nanny. And that's um, a reflection of the support that I have from my husband. You know, we, mm-hmm. we jointly made that decision and we've prioritized those two things, you know, potentially not being able to do other things. And that's again, lucky that we even have that choice to begin with, but yeah. um, you know, that, that's where we've chosen to focus 
um, our financial resources. And so, yeah, I'm very, I'm very um, grateful and lucky to have um, an incredible nanny in, in our life. She actually, she had, she went on maternity leave um, last oh. year. So I got to be on the other side of it as an yeah. and, and she comes to work with her son um, every day, which was super cool. And so yeah. our kids are all really great friends. Um, oh, cool. But that's, that's how we balance it. And um, up until recently, my husband was in a role that's quite demanding, you know, working 10, 12 hours a day, leaving the house early, coming home just before bedtime. That's just the type mm. of role he's in. And so I would say I've been the lead parent, you know, kids mm. need to go to the doctor. That's probably on me. You know, kindy calls mm. and says, Louise is unwell. That's on me. So I do, you know, that's been hard, I think, is, um, mm. is trying to find a better balance for some of that. And at the start, I would say it's more ad hoc. And so what would result in, um, and he might disagree or, or have a different take on this, <laughs> I felt a lot of it ended up coming my way. Yeah. I think what we've gotten better at over time, um, and I have to give him credit for this, is dividing and conquering and being more specific about who does what. Um, yeah. And, and you know, for one person owns this part of our lives, right, or owns that job. And, and I think that allows a bit more balance between the two mm. of us um, to be able to do that. But, you know, I, I'm lucky because I work for myself. I can take those times out, right? I can be flexible with my schedule. And, again, that's a super privileged position to be in because, you know, I was reading the other day, Emma, that even a healthy kid will be sick eight to 12 times with colds and flus in those first couple of years. And that oh. doesn't even include the gastro, hand, foot and mouth, worms, like all the other wonderful things that they pick up from other kids and they probably mm. give to other kids. Um, that's really hard. You think about the sick leave balance that you're going to chew through, who's going to take time off. Um, I think that's actually one of the hidden costs that you don't really realise until you have a child who's constantly sick and that's part mm. of building their immunity. But again, something that as a couple, you probably want to be more intentional about navigating rather than it just defaulting to someone. Oh my goodness, that's so true. And then don't it, and like that's not even including when they need to go get the immunizations if you if that you know or if they they got COVID, all these sorts of things that someone has to look after them. And who is that person going to be? And like you say it needs to kind of be a conversation to think about like who's going to take some sick leave. You know, you've got set amount of sick days from your employer a year and you've got, you know, then what if you get sick? It's just kind of like planning for the unplannable in a way, but you need to have given that some thought. Do you, have you ever, like in your experience with your girls, have you felt that mum guilt, you know, being working full time and then being with a nanny? Is that something you've had to deal with and work through absolutely you know it's hard I mean some days we've gone through periods where the girls are super sticky and you know it would be I just want mummy I don't like them and you know it's, it's not a reflection of a caregiver but they just want to spend time with me and mm. you know I it, it is hard and you know these these days are precious you know that they, <laughs> they grow so quickly and so I do I do struggle with that and it's something I'm trying to get better at and, it, you know, I try to be present when I'm with them and not on my phone. And I remember mm. one time Louisa said to me, Mummy, you're not paying attention to me. <laughs> you're on your phone. I was like, oh, my gosh, I am. This is so bad. And I remember reading an article in the Harvard Business Review a while ago that talked about 
you know, it was aimed at working parents. And what they, they basically said is it's not necessarily about the number of hours that you spend with your child, but the quality of those hours. Mm-hmm. And I, I use that to remind myself that, you know, I need, when I'm with the girls, I need to be there. And sometimes it's not even about the phone, but I'm trying to like do the laundry and cook dinner and like all these other things, which, you know, they're, they're in the room with me. Um, but am I actually sitting down and playing with them and, and talking to them potentially mm. not as much as I want to be? So that's one is just being present. And I remember also hearing from someone and reading that you don't need to be playing all the time, right? It might be mm. 10 minutes a block, you know, and that's enough and, you know, at a time and that's okay too. You don't need to feel like you're a one-woman show um, to entertain yeah. your child, but that, you know, even um, small bursts of being super present is really important for your child. And I try to remind myself too that I don't need to be there for every second of every minute of every day. Mm. So interesting you say that because that's actually something that I've been consciously doing lately is because I found when Louis was small, I felt like I did just want to sit next to him on the mat and, you know, watch and, you know, supervise. And I would find myself just kind of zoning in and out of whether I was really giving him my full attention. And like you say, you're on your phone or you're doing something else. And then I actually decided, look, I don't actually need to sit here with him. He's actually quite happy he's quite happy just independently playing and I can supervise and do other things but what I try to do is I give him bursts of just full focus attention and I'll do a little burst it might be two three minutes do something with a toy or show him how to do something and then I'll leave him to it for a little bit because it's actually I find better because then I'm fully focused in that moment with him rather than me sitting there for however long but not being engaged um I think it's just human as well. Like I find even like watching a three minute video, I, I, I zone out after a few minutes. So it's just these short snap blocks are actually better than, you know, sitting there for hours. So I can completely, completely relate with that. And, you know, to, to your point, it's not just necessarily being out the phone, but also being mentally present. You know, if I'm thinking about work, et cetera, even if I'm not on my phone, I'm still not 100% there. So that's something I'm working on is how can I be there and, you know, try and leave the other things at the door, so to speak, for those moments? Mm. No, I think that's it's a really nice way to think about it is definitely quality, quality over quantity when we don't have so many hours in a day, right? Um, so I would like to kind of wrap up with your year. There's been so much kind of, great advice and things to think about but if you were to give us like your top tips for being financially savvy during your parental leave and I guess just Steph's top tips for preparing for motherhood parental leave what would they be so you've probably heard me say this a few times but definitely look into the income income side as early as possible in your journey um do try and get an estimate for your costs um, and particularly what the big items are going to be because you might be able to dial those up or down. Think through some of the hidden costs, you know, whether it's KiwiSaver, um, annual leave, which is one we didn't touch on, but mm. um, the way annual leave works in New Zealand is if you take annual leave after coming back from parental leave that you became entitled to while on parental leave or in the 12 months after you return, 
it's paid at your average weekly wage. So let me give you a really extreme example. Um, let's say you take 12 months of parental leave and you don't receive any wages from your employer during that time, even if you receive government paid parental leave. If you took a day of annual leave right after you got back for whatever reason, your average weekly wage over 12 months is zero. So you are paid zero for your annual leave. Mm. And I've spoken to a number of parents who were like, whoa, was not expecting my pay packet to be that much lower because Mm. I took a couple of days of annual leave. So that's just something to be aware of and to think through, well, do I want to maximize the value of that annual leave potentially by taking that before I go on uh, parental leave? And that can be a way to extend how long you get money for. So that's one thing to think through. Um, And so, so a lot of this is just trying to get visibility and then making intentional decisions on what you're going to do about this. So KiwiSaver is another one that um, I mentioned earlier, but it could be that you're like, okay, well, we have on our website a a free tool you can download that shows you how much KiwiSaver you're going to be missing out on for the time, you know, for your salary and the um, contribution rate that you have and for the duration, you know, how long you're taking parentally. How much is that? You know, for someone earning the medium income, that's about $3,000. You know, fast forward 30 years to retirement, you know, in a balanced fund on average, that could be worth around $9,000. So again, just being intentional, knowing that and then saying, okay, so what's my plan? It could be that financially, I just can't make any contributions that year. And I'm just, I'm aware of that, but that's just life. I'm going to live with that. Or maybe I have a conversation with my partner around, hey, some of our joint finances, some of our money going into my KiwiSaver and also getting the um, free government money that you can get every year. So for every dollar that you put in, the government puts in 50 cents um, up into a cap of $521. That's the amount of free money you can get from them for contributing to your KiwiSaver. So perhaps you want to at least contribute that much so you can maximize that. Again, a lot of this is just being deliberate and intentional about these decisions. Mm. Yeah. And I'm just, I think it's amazing what you've created with Crayon that you're giving families so much visibility around what they are entitled to and all these tools to kind of find out, you know, further as well, not just thinking of like, okay, what can I get from my employer and the government? But there's obviously these other avenues out there, which I didn't know about. And I'm sure a lot of other, parents you know wouldn't know about so I think it's absolutely awesome what you've created with crayon and and so so needed to get that visibility just so we know what we're entitled to when we are starting to kind of plan for a family um I'm conscious of time but I would love for you to just share with us a little bit about your motherhood journey um kind of what's been your most enjoyable season what your fourth trimester's been like um I know there's so much we could cover, but if you kind of want to touch on a few things, I would love to hear from you just a little bit about, yeah, how that was for you with your fourth trimester with your girls. So I um, did a practice called Chinese confinement. Um, mm. It's rooted in traditional Chinese medicine and it essentially involves um, being in um, indoors in your house for a month. Uh, I'm, I heard uh, Jessica recently talk on your podcast about mm. um, about this. And, yeah. you know, it's you know, for some people who think, oh, one month not leaving the house, that sounds very restrictive. And I think it's not for everyone. That's the first thing I would say. But it worked really well for me. 
Um, and one was because I was just so overwhelmed with being a new parent. But also the um, Chinese confinement really prioritizes the health of the mother. You know, you've been through a major physical experience and it recognizes that. And, you know, there are certain things you're meant to eat and not eat and drink, etc. And it's about the mum resting. And so I really like that part of it. You know, sometimes I feel like we're in a rush to mm. be the first back at, at yoga or, you yeah. know, out of the house, etc. But actually this is saying, hey, slow down. Um, this is an important time for you to bond with your child. This is an important time for your body to recover. Um, here are things that can help you along that journey. So I did it for both my girls um, mm. and it, it, was, um, it was the right move for me. Like I said, I could see how it wouldn't be the right move for everyone. Um, and so that's what my first, I guess, experience um, with both mm. my girls looked like. I ended up with an emergency C-section in both cases. So, you know, the physical recovery from that is a, is a bit longer or can be a bit longer um, yeah. than a vaginal birth. So that was another thing I had to contend with. And that's why um, confinement or actually the direct translation is, um, you know, sitting for a month um, was, was probably the right move for me. And then beyond that, um, you know, you asked about the, the best stages. That's a tricky mm. one to answer because there are kind of highs and lows at each stage. And um, it's funny with Louisa as a, my first kid, you're so excited to get to the next stage, you know, to hit the next development milestone, you know, for her to crawl, then walk, then talk and et cetera. And then with Madeline, I've certainly been enjoying the, the stages a bit more because I know how short they are. And yeah. um, and even the ones that are a bit more challenging, particularly with sleep and things like that, I know it's not going to last. Where mm. I think the first time everything feels like it's going to last forever and, you know, at the same time you're in such a rush to see the next bit. So I'm definitely, you know, enjoying the, the motherhood aspect, particularly the newborn stuff. I found it a bit easier um, second time around. Oh, I think I, I also am really kind of, I, I love, for you sharing the um, Chinese confinement? Because for someone like you as well, it sounds like you're a busy go-getter. So I can imagine that would have kind of gone against everything you'd done in your life up until this point to just sit and be still for a month and be, you know, like I can imagine that would have been, I'm trying to imagine myself doing that. And I was definitely someone that was quite keen to get up and about. But the more people that I speak to through this podcast, I just hear so much I guess, encouragement for women to just slow down in those early days. So um, it's really nice to hear from someone that's done that and actually found it to be so beneficial as well. I just, yeah, it's, and I'm sure for you it wasn't easy to get your head around to start, you know, that you were actually going to do it. That's right. But I've been lucky, like my cousins had done it and, had, you know, I had a chance to talk to them about it, which was really mm. helpful. Um, and, you know, like, I found the first few weeks very overwhelming, especially when you're feeding around the clock, et cetera. So, uh, you know, it worked for me because I had a hard time, you know, getting everything ready and going out of the house anyway. So mm -hmm. I, I'm glad I got to do that. And also one of the things that's part of confinement and, you know, you can flex this as much as you like, but, you know, you don't actually take a lot of visitors and mm -hmm. that also worked for me. You know, I, I didn't want to be, up entertaining people and things like that. You know, you just have immediate family around and that was nice. It's a bit of a protective bubble um, mm. around you for a period of time. And, you know, 
people who practice or are proponents of um, Chinese confinement talk about the lifelong health benefits. It's actually not just the immediate recovery after birth, but also um, well into menopause. Wow. Oh, I could ask you so many questions right now. I just think it's so interesting. But I'm just so grateful for you coming on and sharing all your knowledge. I think you will help so many people just by sharing all of this sort of stuff um, and through what you're doing with Crayon. And so nice to hear about your motherhood journey as well. And like someone that's, I guess, I know I speak to a lot of, you know, parents and women through this podcast. Um, and it's nice to get a perspective from someone that has also, you know, gone back and gone back to full-time work and they're, you know, having to be this founder and corporate person and drive a business and also be a mum and be in those dual roles. So it's just really interesting. If people are wanting to check out Crayon or, you know, book through the course that you mentioned with the financial baby prep program, where can they find that information and what is the best way to go about that? So it's all on our website, gocrayon.com. You can also find us on Instagram, the handles at gocrayon um, and on LinkedIn as well. So they're probably the best places to go. Um, There's a way to contact me as well via the website or on Insta. So yeah, we'd love to hear from parents and parents-to-be. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so, so much, Steph. I've just loved chatting to you. I still have lots of questions to ask, but I feel like my mind is just spinning. It's been so, so helpful. So just again, a big thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Emma.